Thank you for listening to the Alan Wright Sermons Podcast. I'm his son, Matthew, and we have been splitting up the sermons every other week at our house church that my wife and I host on our farm. If you're interested in joining us, check out wrightfarmhousechurch.com. Enjoy today's lesson. So a preacher, I think dad's told this joke, but we'll see. (laughs) So a preacher decides to check on an elderly lady from his congregation. Uh, And so he goes to her house. He goes unannounced to to check on her. And and as he arrives, he sees sees her car is out in the driveway out front. And as he walks up to the door, he he sees some of the lights are on and and, and they're, they're on in the house. And as he approaches the door to knock, he sees the curtains moving, um, moving a little bit. And it seemed that there was every indication um, that she's at home. So he knocks over and over and, and she doesn't come to the front door. So he takes out a church business card and writes Revelation chapter three, verse 20, and puts it on the door. Revelations chapter three, verse 20 simply states, behold, I stand at the door and knock. So the next Sunday after his sermon, he walks out to his car and there's a note under the wiper on the windshield. He takes the note from underneath the windshield wiper and he opens it up and the note says simply Genesis chapter 3 verse 10. He is unfamiliar with that passage. So he turns to his Bible and and he opens it up and he reads Genesis chapter 3 verse 10 and and it says, I heard you, but I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. Didn't know if you guys had heard that one or not. The Bible. <laughs> the, the Bible teaches us that there is uh, there's giftedness in the kingdom. We are each given we are each given spiritual gifts, like this preacher in the joke, who had the gift of visiting, although he did not have the gift of bringing the person to the door. Apparently. <laughs> Each, each and every one of us, we have this crucial role. We are all, we all are important uh, to the kingdom, uh, whether it's visiting or serving or hospitality or praying with others or studying with others. We're all gifted differently and we each have a job to do. And yet, regardless of our ability with these different gifts, we are called we are called to one specific quality, and we're each called to this quality that we see in God and that we see in Christ and that others are to see in us. And this quality is holiness. Holiness is required for the people of God to be holy in, in this unholy world. But what, So what does it mean to, to be a saint? Um, so many of the letters that we see in the New Testament are, they're addressed to saints. They are addressed to the saints at Rome, at Corinth, at Galatia, uh, in Ephesus, Philippi, Colossae, and Thessalonica. And it's interesting that the idea for the Greek word, I'm sure you know this, for both saint and holy is the same word. The word is, is the word is hagios. Is that close enough? But they're the same word. Holy and saint are the same word. 
saints are holy people, right? There's, there's only one problem with that is that we are not holy without God. The word holy is used to describe God, uh, and it's also used to describe those who belong, who belong to God. But the problem is that we cannot be holy without him. Um, thus enters this doctrine or this teaching, which is what a doctrine is, of sanctification. Sanctification is the process by which we are made holy. Even though we ourselves cannot possibly ethic our way to holiness, we cannot work hard enough in order to be holy people unto the Lord. But God makes us holy through Christ as we are sanctified. And so often we might think that a holy life is void of sin, um, which is what you hear about saints, but it's not, right? A holy life is not a life that does not contain sin. In fact, it may very well be a life that struggles with sin every single day. But there is a struggle and there is action by God's people. So by, by biblical definition, a holy life is a life that it belongs to God through Christ, seeking and striving after faithfulness. And if we are going to be a holy people, we have to take serious this radical call of following, of following Christ. We will have to take radical steps to rid our lives of anything and everything that stands in the way of us of us and God. If you'll if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Deuteronomy chapter 7. That's where we'll stick around for a little bit. In chapter 6 of Deuteronomy, we have the Shema prayer of Israel, uh, which says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. Jesus says that this is the greatest command. So in chapter six, you have God telling, telling his people, I want, I want you to make sure that you pass this on to your children and be diligent about that. Be diligent about passing that on to your children. It's God giving instruction to his people as to what they are to do and how they are to live as they enter into a new land. He reminds them time and time again, I am the one who brought you up out of out of Egypt, and I am the one who is going to deliver you, these nations, into your hands. And, and he says, when you experience victory over them, remember, it's me, not you. He keeps saying this. So in chapter 7, how are the holy people of God to live in the world? Starting in verse 5, it says, this is what you are to do to them. Break down their altars smash their sacred stones, cut down their Asherah poles, and burn their idols in the fire. God is saying, I want you to do away with their idolatrous worship, do away with their form of, of worship, and take radical actions in order to make this happen. It's important to note that the way Israel worships has some similarities to the nation's uh, that surround them, they have altars in order to sacrifice. They would have, they would have these, um, these memorial stones called the sacred stones. Um, think about in the story of Joshua 
as as Israel crosses the Jordan on on dry ground, and God instructs them, He says, "I want for you to I want you to take twelve stones, construct an altar out of them, and in the years to come, when your children ask, what are these stones for? You tell them of the goodness of God because of these stones. God is sending His people into the nations, and He is saying, get rid of anything that is contrary to God. So continuing in verse 6. For you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you out of all the peoples on the face of the earth to be his people, his treasured possession. The Lord did not set his affection on you and choose you because you were numerous. You were, I'm sorry, excuse me, you were more numerous than other peoples, for you were the fewest of all peoples. But it was because the Lord loved you and kept the oath he swore to your ancestors that he brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the land of slavery, from the power of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God. He is the faithful God, keeping his covenant of love to a thousand generations of those who love him and keep his commands." So God sends his people out on a seek and destroy mission, as we might call it in the army. These are the rules of engagement, God says. Destroy everything in front of you that is not from God. Destroy anything that could possibly come in between you and your relationship with God. When you think about it, that's what idolatry is, right? It's putting something or someone in the place reserved for God. He says, what God says, God is asking, what are you worshiping? How proactive and how intentional are you being? Who sits upon the throne of your life? What idol is there in your life that needs to be toppled? What sacred stone needs to be smashed so that you might take radical steps to giving your life fully over to God? How are we as God's holy people to live again in an unholy world. In 1 Peter chapter 2, Peter says it this way. In verse 1, he says, Rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. He says, get rid of whatever stands in the way of you and God. Continuing in verse 2, Like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Jesus is the living stone. He is the one to be worshipped in life. In Deuteronomy, God has asked God's people to break the sacred stones, right, of the enemy. And in Joshua, he instructs them to take 12 stones and construct an altar so that their children can remember him in the generations to come. These were inanimate objects. And now Peter tells us that we have a living stone to worship, right? And because of Jesus, the living stone, we are like him. 
says we are like these living this we are like living stones and 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 we are made into a holy priesthood acceptable to God through this living stone in Luke uh, chapter 11 verse 23 Jesus says whoever is not with me is against me he says there is no middle ground and he and he continues and says and whoever does not gather with me scatters and th- and then he moves on to this description of when an evil or an impure spirit comes out of a person and then comes back to that same person and finds that his quote house has been swept clean the impure spirit finds that the house is in order so it brings back more impure spirits even worse than itself leaving the person worse than before we might be tempted to think that cleaning our house and getting it in order ought to be good enough for us to get rid of those things that are contrary to God. But Jesus, in this instruction, he says that that is not enough. He says, you have got to fill yourself with everything that's from God. You've got to fill yourself with the goodness of God and with the love of God and be open to the Spirit of God. Why why was the house, why is this house worse off in the parable? It's because the house was left empty. Do we honestly want to be close to God? If we do, then then what is, is it that is getting in our way? Belief in God is not enough. James says, what does James say? He says, even the demons believe. Recall that? God is after, he is after faithfulness. God is not seeking church folks. He's seeking, he, he is seeking disciples. Being a holy people in an unholy world requires our Lord's sanctification of us. Second Thessalonians chapter two, verse 13, God chose you as first fruits to be saved through the sanctifying work of the spirit and through belief in the truth. And then for our final passage, think back to Jesus parable, okay, of the impure spirit that we just read, who came back to this clean house Galatians chapter 2, in verse 20, he says, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. He says, I don't just believe in God. I have not just gotten rid of the bad. I have not just gotten my house in order, but I have been filled with Christ. The life, he says, I now live in the body. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So God's call to us is that we would tear down the altars to the other gods in our lives and that we would smash the sacred stones and shatter the grip of those things in our lives that get in between us and God. We have the living stone, Jesus Christ, who fills us with his spirit and has made Christians a royal priesthood. Thank you for listening to the Alan Wright Sermons podcast. We hope you'll join us next time. God bless you and have a wonderful week.